Welcome to Jesus is the Voice of Truth. Cultivating a lifestyle of generosity will transform every aspect of your life, marriage, family, relationship, and your finances. Join Michael Montoya from Jesus for Life Ministries as he reveals the truth to experiencing God's abundance and grace every day. Welcome to Jesus is the Voice of Truth. My name is Michael Montoya. I am a teacher and an evangelist, and I have a really great title to our studies today, Encouragement of Faith. So everybody turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. Now this chapter deals with the vision and the endurance of faith. It introduces us to men and women of the Old Testament who had 20-20 spiritual vision and who endured tremendous shame and suffering rather than renounce their faith. Verse 1 is not really a formal definition of faith. Rather, it is a description of what faith does for us. It makes things hoped for as real as if we already have them. And it provides unshakable evidence that the unseen spiritual blessings of Christianity are absolutely certain and real. In other words, it brings the future within the present and makes the invisible seen. Faith is confidence in the trustworthiness of God. It is the conviction that what God says is true and that what he promises will come to pass. Faith must have some revelation from God, some promise from God as its foundation. It is not a leap in the dark. It demands the surest evidence in the universe and finds it in the word of God. It is not limited to possibilities, but invades the realm of the impossible. Someone who said faith begins where possibilities ends, if it's possible, then there's no glory for God in it. An unknown author said, Faith, mighty faith, the promise sees and looks to God alone, laughs at impossibilities and cries, it shall be done. There are difficulties and problems in the life of faith. God tests our faith in the crucible to see if it is genuine. First Peter Chapter 1, 7. Uh, the New International Version, it says, These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. But, as George Mueller said, difficulties are food for faith to feed on. Turn to chapter 11, verse 2. Because they walk by faith and not by sight, the Old Testament worthies received divine approval. The rest of this chapter is an illustration of how God has borne witness to them. Turn to chapter 11, verse 3. Faith provides us with the only factual account of creation. God is the only one who was there. He tells us how it happened. We believe his word and thus we know. The conception of God pre-existent to matter and by his fiat calling it into being is beyond the domain of reason and demonstration. It is simply accepted by the fact of faith. You might think that a fiat is just an Italian car, but it actually means a legal authoritative decision that has absolute sanction. From the Latin word, let it be done. The word fiat is binding etic issued by a person in command. By faith we understand. The world says, seeing is believing. God says, believing is seen. Jesus said to Martha, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? That's John chapter eleven forty. The apostle John wrote, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know 
that they have eternal life. 1 John chapter 5.13 In spiritual matters, faith precedes understanding. The world were framed by the word of God. God spoke and matter came into being. This agrees perfectly with man's discovery that matter is essentially energy. When God spoke, there was a flow of energy in the form of sound waves. These were transformed into matter and the world sprang into being. The things we are seeing were not made out of things that were visible. Energy is invisible, so are atoms and molecules and gases to the naked eye, yet in combination they became visible. The fact of creation as set forth here in Hebrews 11.3 is unimpeachable. It has never been improved on and never will. Hebrews 11.4 Adam and Eve are bypassed in the honor role of faith. When Eve had to decide whether God or Satan was telling the truth, she decided that Satan was. However, this does not deny that they were subsequently saved by faith, as pictured by the coats of skin. Abel must have had some revelation that sinful man can approach God only on the ground of shed blood. Perhaps he learned this from his parents who were restored to fellowship with God only after he had clothed them with the skins of animals. Genesis 3.21 The Lord made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. At any rate, he exhibited faith by approaching God with the blood of a sacrifice. Cain's sacrifice was only one of vegetables or fruit and was therefore bloodless. Abel illustrates the truth of salvation by grace through faith. Cain pictures man's futile attempt to save himself by good works. George Cutting points out that it was not the personal excellence of Abel that God looked at in counting his righteousness, but the excellence of the sacrifice that he brought and his faith in it. And so it is with us. We are not justified because of our character of good works, but solely because of the excellence of the sacrifice of Christ and our acceptance of him. Abel was killed by Cain because law hates grace. Self-righteous men hate the truth that we cannot save himself and that he must cast himself on the love and mercy of God. But Abel's testimony is perpetuated. Through his faith, he still speaks. There is a sense in which faith enables a man's vocal cords to go on functioning long after his body is lying in the grave. Now turn to chapter 11, 5. Sometime during his life, Enoch must have received a promise from God that he could go to heaven without dying. Up to that time, everyone had died, sooner or later. There was no record of anyone ever having been taken away without dying, but God promised and Enoch believed. It was the most sane, rational thing that Enoch could do. What is more reasonable than that the creature should believe his creator? And so it happened. Enoch walked with the invisible God for 300 years in Genesis 5, 21 to 24, and then he walked into eternity. Let's read it. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God for 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Although Enoch lived a total of 365 years, Enoch walked faithfully with God. Then he was no more because God took him away. Before he was taken, he had his testimony that he pleased God. The life of faith always pleases God. He loves to be trusted. Now let's turn to chapter 11, verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. No amount of good works can compensate for a lack of faith. 
After all, it is said and done, when a man refuses to believe God, he is calling him a liar. 1 John chapter 5.10 Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony of God has given about his Son. And how can God be pleased by people who call him a liar? Faith is the only thing that gives God his proper place and puts man in his place too. It glorifies God exceedingly. Faith not only believes that God exists, but it also trusts him to reward those who diligently seek him. There is nothing about God that makes it impossible for men to believe. The difficulty is with the human will. Turn to chapter 11, verse 7. The faith of Noah was based on God's warning that he was going to destroy the world with a flood. That's Genesis 6:17. Let's read it. I'm going to bring flood waters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens, every creature that has the breath of life in it. Everything on the earth will perish. There had never been a flood in human experience. In fact, there is some reason to believe that there had never been rainfall up to that time. Genesis chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. Let's read it. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Noah believed God and built an ark, even though he was probably very far from navigating waters. Doubtless he was the butt of many a joke. But Noah's faith was rewarded. His household was saved, the world was condemned by his life and testimony, and became heir of the righteousness which is received on the basis of faith. Perhaps many of the early Jewish Christians to whom this letter was written often wonder why, if they were right, they were such a small minority. Noah stepped out of the pages of the Old Testament to remind them that in his day only eight people were right and all the rest of the world perished. Now turn your Bibles to chapter 11, verse 8. Abraham was probably an idolater, living in Ur of Chaldees when God appeared to him and told him to move. With the obedience of faith, he left home and country, not knowing his ultimate destination. Doubtless his friends ridiculed him for such folly, but his attitude was, I go on not knowing. I would not if I might. I'd rather walk in the dark with God than walk alone in the light. I'd rather walk by faith with him than to walk alone by sight. Let's look at chapter 11, 9. God had promised the land of Canaan to Abraham. In a very real sense, it belonged to him. Yet the only parcel of ground he ever brought is in the tomb of his dead. He was content to live in tents, the symbol of pilgrimage, instead of a fixed abode. For the time being, he treated Canaan as if it were a foreign country. The companions of his pilgrimage were his sons and grandsons. His godly example left its mark on them, even though they were heirs with him of the same promise that the land would be theirs. Let's turn to chapter 11, verse 10. Why did Abraham hold such a light grip on real estate? Because he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. He did not have his heart set on present material things, but on eternal. In the original, there is a definite article before both city and foundation, the city and the foundations. In the reckoning of faith, there is only one city worthy of the name and only one 
with sure foundations. God is the architect of his heavenly city, and he is a builder as well. It is the model city without slums, polluted air, polluted water, or any other problems that plague our metropolitan centers. Let's now turn to chapter 11, verse 11. By faith, Sarah was miraculously empowered to conceive when she was about 90 years old. The record clearly states that she was past the time of life when she could bear a child. But she knew that God had promised her a baby, and she knew he could not go back on his word. She had shatterproof faith that he would do what he had promised. Now let's turn to chapter 11, verse 12. Abraham was about 99 when Isaac was born. Humanly speaking, it was just about impossible for him to become a father. Yet God had promised a numerous prosperity, and so it must be. Through Isaac, Abraham became the father of innumerable earthly family, the Hebrew nation. Through Christ, he became father of the innumerable spiritual family, that is, true believers of every subsequent age. The sand by the seashore probably pictures the earthly descendants, while the stars of the sky illustrate the heavenly people. Let's turn to chapter 11, verse 13. The patriarchs all died in faith. They did not live to see the fulfillment of the divine promise. For instance, Abraham never saw his numerous descendants. The Hebrew nation never occupied all the land that had been promised to it. The Old Testament saints never saw the fulfillment of the promise of the Messiah. But their telescopic vision brought the promise near. So near that they are pictured as waving at them in joyful anticipation. They realized that this world was not their final home. They were content to be strangers and pilgrims, refusing the urge to nestle to make themselves comfortable. Their desire was to pass through the world without taking any of its character upon themselves. Their hearts were set on pilgrimage. Let's read it in Psalms 84.5. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. Let's turn to chapter 11.14. Their lives indicated plainly that they were seeking a homeland. Faith implanted a homing instinct in them which was never satisfied by the delights of Canaan. There was always a yen for a better land which they can come and call home. Chapter 11.15 In saying that they were seeking a homeland, the writer wants to make it clear that he is not referring to the land of their birth. If Abraham had desired to go back to Mesopotamia, he could have done so, but that was no longer home to him. Let's look at chapter 11:16. The true explanation is that they were seeking a heavenly homeland. This is rather remarkable when we remember that most of the promises to the people of Israel had to do with material blessings on this earth. But they had a heavenly hope as well, and the hope enabled them to treat this world as a foreign country. The spirit of pilgrimage is especially pleasing to God. Darby writes, he is not ashamed to be called the God of those whose hearts and portion are in heaven. He has prepared a city for them, and there they find rest and satisfaction and perfect peace. Let's turn to chapter eleven seventeen. We now come to the greatest test of Abraham's faith. God told him to offer up his only son Isaac up on the altar. With unhesitating obedience, Abraham set forth to offer to God the dearest treasure of his heart. He was oblivious of the tremendous dilemma. God had promised him numerous descendants. Isaac was his only begotten son. 
Abraham was about 117 and Sarah was 108. Let's turn to chapter 11, 18. The promise of a great host of descendants was to be fulfilled in Isaac. The dilemma was this. If Abraham killed Isaac, how could the promise ever be fulfilled? Isaac was now about 17 and unmarried. Now let's look at chapter 11, verse 19. Abraham knew what God had promised that was all that mattered. He concluded that if God required him to slay his son, God would raise him up even from the dead, in order to fulfill the promise. Up to this point, there had been no record case of resurrection from the dead. Human experience had no statistics to offer. In a real sense, Abraham invented the idea of resurrection. His faith in the promise of God drove him to the conclusion that God would have to raise Isaac. In a figurative sense, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. He had committed himself to the fact that Isaac must be slain. God credited him with that act. He provided a ram to take Isaac's place, and the only begotten son was returned to his father's heart and home. Before leaving this outstanding example of faith, there are two points which should be mentioned. First, God never really intended for Abraham to slay his son. Human sacrifices were never God's will for his people. He tested Abraham's faith and found it to be genuine. Then he rescinded his order. Second, Abraham's faith in the promise of numerous descendants was tested over a period of a hundred years. The patriarch was 75 when the promise of son was first given. He waited 25 years before Isaac was born. Isaac was 17 when Abraham took him up on Mount Moriah to offer him to God. Isaac was 40 when he married and was married 25 years before the twins were born. Abraham died when he was 175. At that time, his descendants consisted of one son, 75 years old, and two grandchildren, 15 years old. Yet during his lifetime, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what was promised, he was also able to perform. Romans chapter 4, verse 20 and 21. I like to finish by giving everyone a chance to know Jesus better. Make Jesus the Lord of your life. We're going to talk about the prayer of salvation. It's our first real conversation with God. The prayer of salvation is the most important prayer you will ever pray. When we're ready to become a Christian, we're ready to have our first real conversation with God. And these are the components. We acknowledge that Jesus Christ is God. And that he came to the earth as a man in order to live the sinful life that we could not live. That he died in our place so that we would not have to pay the penalties that we deserve. We confess our past sinful life, living for ourselves and not obeying God. We admit that we are ready to trust Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We ask Jesus to come into our heart, take up residence there, and begin living through us. It begins with faith in God. When we pray the prayer of salvation, we're telling God that we believe that his word is true. By the faith that he has given us, we have chosen to believe in him. The Bible tells us that without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Hebrews 11.6 So, when we pray asking God to give the gift of salvation, we're exercising our free will that we acknowledge to believe in him. That demonstration of faith, it pleases God because we have freely chosen to know Him. 
we are confessing our sin. When we pray the prayer of salvation, we're admitting that we've sinned. As the Bible says of everyone, saved through faith alone, for all have sinned and fell short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 To sin is simply to fall short of the mark as an arrow that does not quite hit the bullseye. The glory of God that we fall short of is found only in Jesus Christ. For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. So, the prayer of salvation then recognizes that Jesus Christ is the only human who ever lived without sin. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteous of God in him. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. So we are professing faith in Christ as Savior and Lord. With Christ as our standard of perfection, we're acknowledging faith in Him as God, agreeing with the Apostle John that in the beginning was the Word, Christ, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. That's John chapter 1, verses 1-3, to 3, because God could only accept a perfect sinless sacrifice because he knew that we could not possibly accomplish that. He sent his son to die for us and pay the eternal price. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's John 3.16. So if you want to say it today and you want to meet it with your heart, don't wait a moment longer to start your new life in Jesus Christ. Remember, this prayer is not a magical formula. You are simply expressing your heart to God. And if you want to, pray this prayer with me. Father, I know that I have broken your laws and my sins have separated me from you. I am truly sorry and I now want to turn away from my sinful past life towards you. Please forgive me and help me avoid sinning again. I believe that your son, Jesus Christ, died for my sins, was resurrected from the dead, is alive, and hears my prayers today. I invite Jesus to become the Lord of my life, to rule and reign in my heart from this day forward. Please send your Holy Spirit to help me obey you, and to do your will for the rest of my life. In Jesus' mighty name, I pray. Amen. So you're thinking now, I prayed it, now what happens? If you prayed this prayer of salvation with true conviction in your heart, you are now a follower of Jesus Christ. That is a fact. Whether or not you feel any different, some religious systems might lead you to believe that you should feel something like a warm glow, a tingle, or something mystical experience. The fact is that you may and you may not. If you have prayed the prayer of salvation you meant it, you are now a follower of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that your eternal salvation is secure. That if you confess with your mouth that the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's Romans 10.9. So welcome to the family of God. We encourage you to find a local Bible-based church where you can fellowship with other believers and grow in the knowledge of God through His Word, the Bible. This ministry is listener-supported. If you feel that you have benefited from this message from God, please consider helping to support this ministry and give a gift of any amount so we can continue to spread the Word of God through the power of the Holy Spirit on this platform. You can go to JesusIsTheVoiceOfTruth.com And may the Lord richly bless you, your family and friends. Until next time, God bless you. And remember, Jesus is the voice of truth. I hope you enjoyed today's program. 
If you have any prayer requests or questions about Jesus is the Voice of Truth, we encourage you to email us at voiceoftruth411 at gmail.com or visit our website at jesusisthevoiceoftruth.com. Thank you for joining us today, and we look forward to being with you next time. Have a blessed day.